Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Well, you know, Valerie DeGroote is a very special person to everyone who's ever known her. And I want to share a word today. I'm continuing the same series of messages on the love of the truth, but we're going to be talking about prayer today. And when I think of Valerie DeGroote, that's who she is to me, a person who is always in contact with the throne of God and is always lifting up. I, hardly, I don't think I ever heard her, in fact, I never, as far as I can recall, and I prayed with her a lot, ever heard her pray about anything that she needed. She's always praying for the nation, praying for the world, praying for every person in the church, and I always knew that she is praying, and I know that she is praying for me. And that means a lot when you know that someone is praying for you. There was a woman many years ago when I first, was, uh, first started preaching in a church, and I was a youth pastor, and uh, Word of Life Fellowship was the name of the church. It was in Winterset, Iowa. If you don't know where Winterset, Iowa is, just look that up too. You'll find out John Wayne was born there. But other than that, it's not famous for much else. And uh, just a little town in, out in the cornfields in Iowa. And, but this, this woman, she was a widow. Now, I, don't, I thought she was really old, but remember, I was 20-something then. I think she was probably about my age right now, but she was this old widow to me. And, uh, and you know, every single time that I ministered the Word of God, if it was, I was asked by the pastor to minister on a Sunday, usually it was like a Sunday night, back when people used to have Sunday night services, and uh, in the youth ministry, I mean, literally every single time she would appear out of nowhere and just come up to me and say, Pastor, your hands are up. And then you just knew the whole time you were ministering that she was praying for you. Prayer is so powerful, and I want to share on that today. One of the things about, go ahead and open up 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In fact, let's open with a word of prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going through the the book of 2 Thessalonians, this very short but powerful epistle. Uh, the title of this message that's just an ongoing message is the love of the truth. It comes from chapter 2 and verse 10. And um, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that as we open your word and we read your word, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you would stir the heart of every person in here this morning. We each have our own individual needs, and as a church, we have our uh, collective as a body need, Lord. And I just pray that you would speak into the heart of every person, no matter how young they are, no matter how old they are, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to keep our eyes fixed on the heavenly places, to draw closer to you, because as we draw near to you, we know that you draw near 
unto us. And I thank you for this now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So one of the things about prayer is that um, uh, I'm going to venture to say that just because in any crowd, in any group of people, even if they go to church every Sunday, it's going to be like this. Many of you feel like, you feel like you don't really know how to pray. And that's okay. That's what I want to say first of all. Some people think they know how to pray, but they maybe are just following a system or praying uh, in a way that is just so that other people see them or hear them. And that's a big temptation for everybody, to have a public prayer life, but not a private prayer life. In fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees that your entire prayer life consists of just praying in front of other people. But your hearts are actually very far from me. And prayer is because it's spiritual, and the spiritual is the most important part of our lives. I want to say that prayer is the most intimate and powerful part of our lives. And someone can be a great prayer or prayer warrior, if you will, have a very close and intimate relationship with the Lord. And you wouldn't necessarily even know it except by the fruit that they bear in their lives. We know a tree by its fruit. But it's okay to feel like that you don't know how to pray. Or it's okay to feel like, I wish I knew how to pray better. In fact, I hope that you do have that feeling. That there's a stirring on the inside of you that you would like to have a richer and more fulfilling prayer life. I know that I have that in my heart. Because, you know, in Matthew it tells us that one of the disciples came up to Jesus. This is where we get the Lord's Prayer, right? And before he speaks to them the Lord's Prayer, what the Lord's Prayer really was, was a kind of, a, kind of an outline on how to pray. Just a short teaching on how to pray. Because one of the disciples came up to him and he said, Lord, teach us to pray in the same way that John has taught his disciples. Now, I've always been fascinated by that verse of Scripture because it comes later in the ministry of Jesus. And it's very interesting to me that Jesus didn't just start out the school of discipleship by saying, I'm going to teach you how to pray. But I think that's really important because Jesus modeled a life of prayer for them. You understand? They watched him pray. They saw him uh, over and over again. The scripture tells us in different ways with different verbs and, and, and different situations that Jesus drew away from the disciples or away from the crowd, that he went into a deserted place, that he went up on a mountain, that he went here, he went there. He was always trying to find, carve out time in his very busy schedule for prayer. I think that's actually in the Bolton day. One of the Woolsey's, Woolsey's wisdom, right? He who is too busy to pray, that too should have an extra O in it, by the way. Uh, he who is too busy to pray, the first two, is busier than God ever intended him to be. Well, Jesus was not too busy to pray. 
And in fact, prayer, this intimate fellowship with the Father, was the constant, ever-present foundation for all of his ministry and for all of his life. And he said about the church, and I'll just take the temple and transfer it over to the church, he said that this place is called by God to be a house of prayer for all the nations, for every person, no matter who they are, no matter what their race, no matter what their tongue, no matter what level of spiritual maturity they have, that when people come into this house, it should be a place where they have an encounter with Jesus. It's a house of prayer for all the nations. Prayer is an encounter with the Lord. You know, we need to have this attitude in our lives, an attitude of asking Jesus to teach us to pray. Because prayer is not something we know how to do naturally. You know, oftentimes people, you know, if, if you talk to, you know, anybody uh, who has very little church experience, they're going to say to you, I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what, what words am I supposed to say when I pray, right? I mean, that's just very common. But honestly, none of us know how to pray unless Jesus teaches us how to pray, unless we focus on Jesus and we sit at his feet and we, we receive the model that he lives out before us of continual fellowship with the Father. You know, when, Jesus, when Paul says, pray without ceasing, that means 24-7 prayer. Well, <laughs> that's kind of impossible to do, Paul. I got to go to work. I got to do other things. I got to watch Super Bowl today. Why don't I just pray and watch the Super Bowl at the same time? Well, you know, obviously he's not talking about saying these words that begin with, Dear God in heaven and end with amen, 24-7. He's talking about walking a life in continual, without ceasing communion with the Father. That you're in relationship with the Father. And so I think sometimes we do people a disservice when we, um, and it's understandable, but when we say things to them like, well, you can pray, just just." talk to God. You know, everybody can pray. It's just having a conversation with God. That's kind of the common way we answer people when they say they don't know how to pray. And that's a good starting place. But I think we need to impart to them also this understanding of, I don't know how to pray either. <laughs> we just, you know, but Jesus will teach you to pray. Ask him. Ask Jesus. You can say this simple prayer, right? Jesus, teach me to pray. You know, you can, you know, you can say to an atheist, just pray. I've had people, I, I, we, at the marriage course, I told the testimony of, of one man who received Jesus like this. He had said that he had been an atheist all his life, and one of the assignments in the marriage course was to go home and pray together with your spouse if you've never done that before. And uh, he came back the next week and said, well, I'm a Christian now. I said, well, what happened? And, and he said, well, I started praying. I said, you're God in heaven, because that was my assignment. And all of a sudden, I realized somebody's really listening. There's really a God in heaven. You know, when we open our hearts, the Bible says when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So ask him. Te teach me to pray. Okay. Uh, you, you remember Job. I'm kind of getting off my notes here, but just feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to say this. You, you remember the book of Job. If you've never read the book of Job in its entirety, Read the book of Job in its entirety. 
It's, it's not that difficult to understand if you really pay attention to what it's saying. But the gist of that whole story is a life of a man who was a, and I'm just going to use our modern terms, who was a very good church-going Christian. Gave his tithe, gave extra offerings on top of that, that was dedicated to the Lord with all of his heart. But he didn't know God to the depth that God desired for him to know him. And at the end of that book, going through all the suffering that he goes through, and I don't desire any suffering in my life. I do not. I'm not some kind of crazy guy that wants to be persecuted and, and suffer. You know, I'm perfectly happy to be comfortable and healthy and all these things, right? But I know this, that in suffering, we have a unique opportunity to either get angry with God or to draw closer to God because we're completely dependent upon him. And through all the suffering that he goes through, at the end of the book, the best part of the book, he says to God, he says, I have heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes, and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I turn to you with all of my heart, in other words. And this is spoken by the best Christian on, on earth at the time, probably. You know, I'm just using the word Christian because that's our New Testament word. But the man who really loved God with all of his heart. But I think that, that really, that I'm, I'm just speaking to you from myself. For me, that always speaks to my heart. You know, I've heard of you, God. It's one thing to hear about God. But it's another thing to see him with your eyes. Prayer is when we begin to see him with our eyes. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're just going to go through these verses uh, slowly together. And these are the only verses we're going to look at today. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. Or in the original Greek, it simply says, just as also with you. And that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Just in case you don't know what it means to be steadfast, that means you just don't give up. That you just stubbornly continue to do the will of God no matter what comes against you. So if you remember, as we've been going through 2 Thessalonians, I've been teaching it in the way that the Lord put it on my heart to teach, that this is a militant or a martial message to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. In a world that is enveloped with a cloud uh, of darkness that we can call lies. We are called to love the truth and to stand. Well, chapter 3, chapter 3, I'm going to divide it into three parts. And we're only going to do the first part today, which is about prayer. But chapter 3 is what I'm going to call the military regulations. Okay? 
and there's probably better military terms for this, I don't know, but we're going to look at three things that are critical if we will be the army of God, if we will be the people of God who love the truth and stand in these last days to restrain the Antichrist, if we will have a city of refuge, okay? All these things that we've been talking about. The first one is prayer, and I'm going to talk about that today. The second one has to do with maintaining New Testament order, and if you look at the verses that are coming up in here later on, you'll see that there's a lot of things we're going to talk in detail about that. And the last one, I, I think is really quite powerful, is just about how we fight our battles from a position of the peace of God. But we're going to get into those, those later. Let's begin with these verses, verses 1 through 5, and talk about prayer. Now, I'm going to talk about a specific, specific type of prayer today, okay? Uh, about intercession, and about intercession directed in a specific direction. Notice that Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. I talked about Valerie DeGroote. I talked about this this old widow who was probably my age in Iowa that would always say, your hands are up. You know, do you know where that comes from, by the way? A lot of you do, right? There's a story in the Old Testament when Joshua goes to fight the battle. And as long as Moses up on the hill or mountainside can keep his hands up, then Joshua has the victory. If Moses' hands come down, then Joshua will lose the battle. And it's, it's a beautiful story. It tells us so much about intercessory prayer. But it's hard to keep your hands up for a long time. How many of you lift your hands in worship? I hope you do. It's a biblical thing, it, it, you know, to lift our hands to the Lord. But if you're lifting your hands to the Lord, after a while they start coming down to here, and then you're like, thank you, Jesus, I've got to get my hands back up, because it kind of hurts. Your arms get sore when you hold them up for a long time, right? So in that story, there are two men, Aaron, you know, the, the high priest, the, the brother of Moses, and her, and they are next to Moses, and they keep his hands up for him. And so they work together as a team, an intercessory team, so that Joshua can have the victory in the battle. And that picture is really important to what we're reading here. Because I want to challenge you today with this, this statement that we would enjoy a lot greater success in our lives if we prayed, really prayed, and blessed those who are our leaders, okay? If Moses can keep his hands up, then there's victory in our battle. And this is very important. Paul very boldly says, pray for us. You know, it's sometimes uncomfortable for me as the pastor of the church, it'd be kind of easier to preach a sermon like this than somebody else's church. I'm like, well, you need to be praying for me, okay? And it feels like, well, don't tell me. But you know what? That's scriptural. You need to be praying for me. If you're not praying for me as the pastor of this church, if you're not blessing me as the pastor of this church, then you're only hurting your own lives, okay? Paul says boldly, pray for us. He says there's a reason for you to pray for us so that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. And he says, just as also with you, that this will bring success and blessing into your life, that the word of God will spread rapidly and be glorified. 
See, a lot of people, when they look at their leaders, and I'm going to extend this beyond just the pastor of the church, okay? Looking at the fivefold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. But who are your parents to you, kids, young people, if they are not this fivefold ministry that God's put in your life? How many young people are praying for their parents? I know when I was a teenager, I was not regularly praying for my parents. My attitude was pretty much, well, they're my parents. They should be praying for me or just feeding me and paying for everything and all that kind of stuff. But I want to challenge you to start praying for your parents, to pray for your teachers, to pray for your leaders. You know, I'm not the only leader in this church, okay? Pray for those who have some level of responsibility for the work that God is doing, right? Pray for them. Lift their hands up. Help them to keep their hands up because it brings victory to us in our spiritual battle. So, Paul says, pray for us. Well, I'm going to make a big deal out of the word for. Okay, just for a second. It's one of those little tiny words, uh, that, that little prepositions that really mean a lot in a sentence. Well, in this particular case in the Greek it's the word peri like you know, peri like we have here and uh, uh, but it's an interesting word because it, it's a word that means to go around like perimeter okay and so when he's saying for here he's saying pray all around us all right put up a hedge around us lift our hands up pray about everything in our lives you know pray for our health pray for our prosperity Pray for our children, our grandchildren. You know, Paul didn't have that, but, you know, the other pastors did. Paul said only I and Barnabas are not married, but everyone else is. You know, pray about everything in our lives so that we are free and we are empowered for the word of God to spread rapidly and to be glorified. Pray all around us. Pray all about us. Intercession is the first principle for engaging in spiritual warfare. If we do not learn to pray, we will not have the victory that God wants us to have in our lives. Everything is based upon that. So the first thing that we see here is that Paul says, or asks them, really he commands them, to pray for the protection, the defense, and the support of the ministers. Pray for their protection, pray for their defense, and pray for their support. Look with me over at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. I want to point out that before Paul ever commands them to pray for him, he's praying for them. Okay, And before Jesus ever uh, expects us to be in prayer, I want you to know that Jesus stands always to make intercession for us. Do you know that Jesus prays for you by name? The Bible tells us that he stands ever to make intercession for us. So he says, I thank my God for you all. And then verse 9, he says, For God whom I serve 
in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making request. If perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And it could go on reading from there, but that's enough. Do you know that you are established and strengthened when the ministers of God have success in their ministry? Every minister of God that's worth his salt, okay? There may be some bad examples out there, but we won't talk about them today. Every minister of God, you know, do you know why I'm the pastor of this church? And I'm telling you the truth, because I truly believe that God has given me a spiritual gift and he wants me to impart that unto you. That I want you to be successful in your life with Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Okay, you know, that's that's the only reason. And every pastor I know that's even halfway worth his salt has the same motivation in ministry. It's not because pastors are too dumb to do any other job. It's not because, oh, that's sure an easy job. All you're going to do is stand up there on Sunday and talk a little bit. Yeah, try it for a little bit. It's not so easy as you think. You know, it's it's not because pastors make so much money. Yeah, I know there's some bad examples out there all that kind of stuff, but the vast majority of ministers aren't in it for the money. They, they truly have this call of God in their life. Now, we talked about parents. How many parents are in the job of parenting for the money? Yeah, that pays great, doesn't it? You know, or because, oh boy, that's an easy job. All you got to do is just be a parent, you know. No, you're in that job of parenting because you want to impart a spiritual gift to your children. You want them to be established. So you are established and you are strengthened when they, when the ministers, succeed in ministry and when they are free to impart a spiritual gift to you. Um, Anybody that's ever preached, and probably anybody that teaches in school or anywhere will agree with this, that it's really... um, let me say, it's much, much easier to teach or to preach when somebody is actually listening. We say it like this, when somebody has faith, okay? Because when people have faith, they draw the spiritual gift out of you. And it's, it's just, this anointing just flows. You know, and, and, it, it, and it's not always like that. But it's much easier, that, I mean, there, there can be times when you're completely prepared and nobody wants to hear it. And, or at least it feels like that. Like there's just this blockage that the, that the gates aren't open. People aren't receiving it. So if they're not receiving, uh, then there's not this, the same flow that there would be. And we see this in the ministry of Jesus, that he went to places where there was very little faith uh, or almost no faith at all. And he couldn't do any mighty works in those places. He couldn't impart to them what he wanted to impart to them, even though he's Jesus, the Son of God. <laughs> So this is very important that we pray for all around and all about our pastors, the ministry gifts, our spiritual leaders.
and even as children, that we learn this about our parents. When you bless your parents, you get blessed. That's just how it works, okay? Now go with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. These are all verses most of you have heard and know, but let's look at them. Ephesians chapter 4 talks to us about what we like to call the fivefold ministry gift. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now I'm going to put this in context. You can expand this to include grace on many levels. But in context, what God is saying is that your ministry gifts, your spiritual leaders, your parents, your pastor, whoever it is, they are God's grace to you. Okay? It says, therefore it says, when he, this is Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I want to focus on that. He gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. I always get this picture of Jesus going up in heaven and his hands just going like this and gifts coming out everywhere, just kind of presents coming down. It's like that idea anyway. And it says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. There's a lot of things we could teach in there, but I'm going to focus on the gifts. And he gave, and it tells us what the gifts are. Okay? He gave some apostles. So here comes an apostle, right? He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So that's five gifts. Why did he give them, though? Right. For the, so that you would be equipped. For the equipping of the saints, you're the saints, for the, work, for the work of service, that you would do the work of service, that you would be able to serve God and build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man that we would grow up to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So that's the purpose of these ministry gifts. So when they succeed, you succeed. Okay? So pray for their protection, pray for their defense, and pray for their support. In verse 1, where he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. Paul's telling us to pray for their success as they lead you. Remember, we're talking about military regulations. As they lead you in the offensive operations of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is an offensive operation. We are taking these lands, we are taking these nations for Jesus Christ. We are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in that operation, we have leaders, okay? And these leaders need to be prayed for, and they need to be supported. You know, I used to play football for elementary, junior high, high school, one year in college, okay? And we always had different coaches. And we had good coaches, and we had really bad coaches. And the coach always made all the difference. I can tell you, I had 
bad coaches that were really nice guys. I had one coach that played college ball for Tulsa University, he was a big old muscular dude, and he knew everything about football, but he was a terrible coach. He just could not coach people. You know, nice guy, I, I liked Coach Al, but he wasn't a good coach. And so we lost all the time because he couldn't bring any cohesiveness to the team. And then we'd have coaches that were little skinny runs that probably never played in their lives, but they knew how to put together a team. And they were good coaches, okay? And the coach makes a big difference. And I remember we had this one coach named Hicks Dean. His name was actually Hicks. That's kind of an Oklahoma thing, probably. Hicks Dean. And Hicks Dean was at that time, now probably he wasn't any fatter than I am now, I don't know. You, you see things different when you're a kid. But that was the fattest guy I'd ever seen. He could hardly walk, it seemed like. He wore those, you know, those, uh, those polyester kind of shorts they used to have you wear with a little buckle on them here. Maybe they still have those. Who made those things? Like Wilson or Champion or somebody. And he, he wore those shorts and he always had them like up here, you know, at his, his actual waistline. And it was, <laughs> it was just really cool. But we loved, <laughs> we loved Hicks, Hicks Dean because he was actually a great coach. And we won all the time with Hicks Dean. And he was fun. He was funny and all this. And one time on our team, this kid named Darren Bijek, boy, I hope he's not listening on the internet right now. He'd get mad at me for telling the story, but if he's still alive, who knows. But Darren Bijek, who was one of the best players on the team, and he was the quarterback, and, but he was really you know, into himself too. And, and, and he was a nice kid, you know, he and I were friends, but he was really into himself. Well, he got really in this big fight with the coach. And we're talking about, we're in eighth grade. And he gets in this fight with the coach and telling Coach Dean that Coach Dean's not calling the plays right and he's got a better plan and all this kind of stuff. And Coach Dean tells him, no, no, we're gonna do it this way and everything. And then he started yelling at Coach Dean. And I'll never forget, Coach Dean took his hat and he threw it on the ground like this. He said, there's my hat. And then he went, Tsk. and here's my whistle. You want to coach this team? You coach it. I'm sick of you kids. And he just walked off. They probably didn't get paid any money. I, I can sympathize with that feeling these days. He said, I'm sick of you kids, and just walked off the, the practice field. It was that practice. And you know what the entire team did? We, I mean, we didn't physically accost Darren Bijek, but it got almost to that point. I mean, we just got furious with Darren Bijek because he just drove off the best coach we'd ever had. And we were like, please come back, Coach Dean. We need you and everything and stuff like that. You know, the success depends. You know, the, the, you know Coach Dean would have been the worst player if he'd gone out there. I mean, the guy could hardly run. I don't think he could run. I don't know. He wasn't in very good shape. But that didn't mean we didn't need him on our team. We needed him more than we needed Darren Bijek because he was the anointed leader for the team, okay? And so we need, you know, these spiritual leaders in our lives. We need these ministry gifts in our church. So as we pray for them and support them, and, and you know, it's hard to pray for somebody if you're talking bad about them behind their back, okay? Just remember that. It's very hard because you're just annulling your prayers. You know, but if we bless them, and we pray for them, then the word, we have this promise here that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and it will be glorified in the world around us and in your homes also, just as with you.
So we're, I want to talk about this understanding of spreading rapidly. In the Greek, it's the, the, the uh, verb trecho, and it just means to run. That the word of the Lord will run and be glorified. But we see this in the Old Testament also. And uh, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Psalm 147. Psalm 147. And I'm going to pick and choose a few of the verses. The entire psalm is good, but verses 12, 15, and 18 through 20. Listen to what it says. It says, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. We can say, praise the Lord, O church. Praise your God, O Zion. He, the Lord, sends forth his command to the earth. See, God's word is his command. He sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and waters to flow. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. You see, the Great Commission, the preaching of the gospel is a military operation. It's an offensive, not defensive. I mean, there's some defense involved in it, but it's a military operation. It's moving forward. It's an offensive operation. It says he sends his, for, his word, it runs, he melts them, he causes his wind to blow, the waters to flow, he declares his words to Jacob and his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. Now listen to what it says next. So you're Jacob, you're Israel. We are Jacob, we are Israel. The church, the people of God. It says, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them, praise the Lord. So this is important for you to understand. That nobody hears the word of the Lord in the world around us. But you do. You're hearing the word of the Lord. They don't have the word of the Lord. But God has given you this word to bring healing to the nations. To bring salvation to the nations. To bring deliverance to the nations. They're not going to just get better with what they have. You have the word of the Lord. It has been entrusted unto you so that you can take it to the nations. And Psalm 24, or Matthew, <laughs> Matthew 24, 14 in the middle of the whole chapter that we read a few weeks ago, where Jesus is talking about the wars, the rumors of wars, coming to the Antichrist and all these things, the time of the Great Tribulation, right smack dab in the middle of that. In verse 14, Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. And that word for world in the Greek means the entire inhabited earth. It's talking about preaching to people wherever they live, wherever we meet them, wherever we can. This gospel of the kingdom, he doesn't say this social gospel. He doesn't say this gospel of feeling good. He doesn't say this um, positive message. He says this militant gospel of the kingdom, my kingdom will be preached in the whole world, in the entire inhabited earth, as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. So we pray for the success of our spiritual leaders. 
of our, I'll just use the word, pastors, our shepherds, those that care for our spiritual lives. We pray for their success because that brings success to us. Then in verse, verse 2, where we read that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. We need to pray for the protection of our leaders and specifically for their deliverance from the enemy within. From the enemy within. That they would, and that's what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about perverse and evil men that live out in the world. I mean, yeah, we need to be protected from them perhaps also, but as we will see when we get into talking about the order in the body of Christ, in another place, Paul says, when I told you not to have fellowship with anybody that's an idolater or a fornicator, etc., etc., I wasn't talking about not having fellowship with people like that in the world, because then you couldn't talk to anybody. I was talking about people that call themselves Christians, but live as if they're in the world. But we'll get into that later. So he's talking about people from within that are enemies. And I know that because he says not all have faith, and literally it says in the Greek, not all hold to the faith. They say they have faith, they say they're Christians, but they don't hold to the faith. There's a lot of people like that. And Paul says you need to pray for us, that we would be protected from these people, that we would be delivered from these enemies that come against us from within the church. So let's talk about that just for a few minutes. The word perverse, I'm reading from the New American Standard, says that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. The word evil is just the word evil. But the word perverse is really an interesting word. It's the Greek word atopos. Atopos. Topos, like topographical map, means a place. Okay, And atopos literally means people that are out of place. They don't belong. Okay, They're out of place. They're strange. I'm giving you some some synonyms for this. They're odd. They're irrelevant. They're absurd. They're unnatural. They're disgusting. They're perverse. They're foul. But they're unnatural, disgusting, perverse, or foul because they're so absurd. Because they're so out of place. Because they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. There's nothing real on the inside of them. They may look the look, but on the inside of them, their hearts are far away from God. And, and this can go, you know, I mean, Jesus, when he was talking about this stuff, he was talking to, about, about Pharisees. So, you know, we think, like, Pharisees, those are really bad people. But nobody thought that then. The Pharisees were, you know, the most religious people that, that, that they knew. I mean, these were the guys that really kept the law, you know, and they talked the talk. And as far as anybody could tell, they walked the walk, but they weren't walking the walk that Jesus walks. They were walking some religious walk. So I don't want to make this too complicated, but this can happen to an entire church. And it's, it's my prayer. You know, for the almost eight years that I've been here, seven and a half years now, about seven years I've been the pastor of the church. And from the very beginning, my prayer is, God, don't allow, please, Lord, help Yarrington Vineyard Fellowship not to become irrelevant. And that's the very word that I've prayed, so that we don't become irrelevant. Because a church that has everything, you know, all the buildings are paid for, and the seats are really cushy and comfy, and they are. These are great seats. 
They really are. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're actually comfortable seats. And, um, uh, you know, you know, got money in the bank, everything's taken. It's really easy to become complacent and just do what we need to do. You know, we're all getting older, you know, just let the church get old. And, and then it just becomes irrelevant because a church that's not fulfilling the Great Commission is irrelevant. It's absurd. It doesn't make any sense because that's what we've been called. That's what we've been established to be. Did not Jesus say, I will build my church and the very gates of Hades will not prevail against it? That implies I'm building my church for battle, does it not? That there is a battle to be engaged in. So uh, I actually heard uh, somebody the, the other day talking about the, uh, the armed forces in the United States of America. And, and this guy uh, brought out this, these statistics, and it was quite amazing to me. And I can't remember the exact numbers, okay? I remember during World War II. But he said in World War II, when we had in the armed forces 12 million soldiers, okay? You know, Navy, Air Force, whatever. I don't think Air Force existed then as a separate branch. Whatever. You know, 12 million soldiers. He said we had seven four-star generals. And he went through and he named them off. And then he said, today, when we have a standing army of a million and a half, we, and I think he said 46, we have 46 four-star generals. And he was talking about how the military, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a you know, preaching thing, he was just talking about the military, but how the military can get into this place where it's become complacent, where all the money's up at the top, all the weight is up at the top, you know, but it's not really ready for battle. And he, was, he was speaking these things from a military standpoint. Well, that can happen in a church, and we cannot become irrelevant. We need, cannot become absurd. We cannot, you know, we, we may be strange in the sense that we're not like the people of this world, but not in the sense that we're out of place. We're not out of place. Do you know that this city belongs to us? That Jesus said, or, you know, God said, because it's in the Old Testament, but you know, Jesus is God. <laughs> Jesus said that to, 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 to Joshua, wherever the sole of your foot treads, I've given that land unto you. And I, I, did, I live by that in my life. If my soul treads here, this land belongs to me. You know, Tanya and I both have this experience in Yarrington of just driving around and claiming this land belongs to us, this place belongs to us. I, I have this have had this experience over and over again where I know that there's some place where something good is not going on and just, just going to that place, putting my foot there and saying, this belongs to me. This belongs to Jesus and you have no place here in Satan. That's intercessory prayer. Taking that land and saying that this place belongs to Jesus. We are not out of place. We are not odd. We're not irrelevant. We're not absurd. And if we ever become that, then we are disgusting, perverse, and foul. And Paul says that we would be delivered from those kind of people. See, here's the thing about enemies within. Jesus told us about this. He tells a parable of wheat that's planted. And he says that the servants went out and they planted the wheat for their master. And then the enemy snuck in at nighttime, and he went out in the field and he planted tares, weeds, right? Anybody know anything about weeds? Well, if you live in Yarrington, you do, right? He, I never knew about weeds till I moved to Yarrington. This is a real, you know, and there's even a place called Weed Heights. 
And I, I did find out later that was a man's name, but at first I thought, what a perfect name. <laughs> they should have named the whole place Weedites. But no, I'm just kidding. But um, uh, he went out, the enemy went out, and at nighttime sowed tares among the wheat. But these were a type of weed that you couldn't tell the difference by looking at it. Is that wheat or is it weed? Is it wheat or is it tear? Until they became fully mature. So the servants knew this and they went to the master and said, should we go out and pull all the tares up? And the master said, no. Because if you go out and pull the tares up, you're not going to know the difference. And you're going to pull up some good wheat together with it. We have to be very careful in judging people. We have to be very careful. We're going to talk about more about this when we talk about the order in the body of Christ. You know, Jesus gave us very good instructions on how to deal with things. If there's a problem, please just go to that person individually and just talk to them. Don't come tell the pastor. Don't go tell anybody else. Talk to them individually because you may, hopefully, you'll find out that you can solve that problem between the two of you and nobody else ever has to know about it. You know, and then Jesus said, well, if you can't, then get a couple of brothers involved with it. You know, if you still can't, then come tell the pastor about it. You know, take it before the church or something if it's that bad, right? But I've found in years of ministry experience that almost everything can be solved when people will just be honest with one another face to face and just deal with these things in, in, that, in that way. So the master says, you can't do that. You've got to be careful. You're going to have to wait until the time for the harvest. And when it's time for the harvest, then I'll send the harvesters, the angels out, and they'll clear out the tares, and then they'll bring the wheat in. So, there are tares sown among the wheat. I will tell you right now, and I'm not pointing to anybody in the room or anything like that, but I'm saying because this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means automatically I always know the enemy is trying to sow weeds in the body of Christ. On the outside, People can look good, but what they're doing, whether it's their motive, or whether it's a conscious motive or not, is trying to lead people astray and lead them away from the body of Christ. And I've seen that happen in the short time. I've been the pastor of this church many, many times, that people come and they try to lead people away astray from the body of Christ. And you know what? This is the definition of, of a truly perverse and evil person. And that's just calling it like it is. That's what Judas was for Jesus. Okay? So we have that example. Go with me over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, we have a beautiful passage of Scripture. And... Many times in a Bible school setting, I've done a teaching from this passage of Scripture that goes on for several weeks called The Heart of the Pastor, because Paul really opens this up here, and it's very important for pastors to hear his heart here, because we see the heart of the pastor in this. But as he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian church, and he doesn't even have time to go to Ephesus, he goes to Miletus, sort of be like he flies into Reno and asks the Yerington church to come up there so he can say goodbye to him. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian church. And I'm going to just begin reading with verse 26. He said, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That, that comes from Ezekiel. That means that I have preached the gospel to everyone. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit 
has made you overseers. So he's speaking especially to the overseers, to the ministry gifts, to, you know, we can use a lot of words, I'm going to say to the shepherds, okay? To the parents, too. Be on guard for yourselves. And for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Parents, are you on guard for the flock of children or grandchildren that the Lord has given you? And shepherd the church of God because, it says which, but I'm going to say because, because he purchased this church with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Okay? That's like people from the outside attacking the church. But then he says, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. So pray. Make it a part of your intercessory prayer that we would be protected and that we would be delivered from enemies that arise from within because they will distract the shepherds away from the flock and if you can divide the flock you know then if you can strike the shepherd as it says in scripture then you can destroy the entire flock that's what it says prophetically about Jesus so go back over to second Thessalonians chapter 3 so number one we talked about praying for the protection defense and support from all things. Number two, we talked about praying for the success of our pastors. Number three, we talked about praying for their protection and deliverance from the enemies within. From the enemies within, because that's protection for you. And when we get into talking about the order in the body of the Christ, I'm going to bring this up again. But the pastor, pastors, ministry leaders, parents, people that have this responsibility from God as shepherds, they will see things that are out of order before the, before the flock does. Okay? And oftentimes the flock won't be even in agreement with them. But pray that their spiritual antennas will be up. Pray that they will have the vision, that their eyes will be open. Pray that their binoculars will be clean so they can see stuff, okay? Because it's for your protection, for the protection of the body of Christ so that the word of God may, may run swiftly and may be glorified, not only in this community and around the world, but in our own families also. Now go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verses 3 through 5, where we read, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, because you're praying for us, he will protect you. That relationship is very important. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So the faithfulness of God is to strengthen and defend us in this battle. We've talked about this already, that he will send us help that we need in the battle that we have in this life. If you'll ask him for help, he will send you help. He will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will defend you. He will defend us and strengthen us as a local church. 
You know, the local church is very important to Jesus. In fact, you know, we talk about the church in America, for example, the church in Russia, the church in China. And it's okay to talk like that, but those, those kinds of phrases actually aren't used in the New Testament. What it talks about is the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus. It's talking about local churches. And even in the New Testament, those local churches, we see this, they met in different locations sometimes. So there was already this, this beautiful picture of a local body that might have very, you know, several different congregations that are like different members in the body, but still it's one body, right? And that, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean we're divided. That actually means we're really in unity if, if, if we are together in the Spirit, if we can pray together, if we are together with, with the Lord. We are joined together. And it doesn't matter what it says on the sign, if it says Baptist, if it says Catholic, if it, it might matter if it says Mormon, but I won't talk about that today. But I'm talking about Christian churches that, that hold to the true doctrine of Christ, to the love of the truth is what we're talking about, that we're joined together. So God is faithful to strengthen us and defend us in this battle, but this is when we stand praying with him. It's, it's not like God's saying, well, because you don't pray, I'm not going to help you. That, that's not the point. It's not like I'm going to punish you because you didn't pray. That's not it. It's, it's like all this power is available, but you've got to plug into the wall, okay? You've got to stick the plug in. You've got to connect to the Lord. You know, you can't be telling Coach Dean that you know better how to run the team because he might just take his hat off and his whistle off and say, then you be Jesus. Go ahead. And, and I'm not joking. In Romans, it says, and this has happened in our nation, that God just turned them over to, to a depraved mind. It's like God just said, fine, you be God. You want to be God so bad? Be God. Have at it. We'll see how that works for you. And it doesn't ever work out very well. I don't want to put Jesus in that position where, where I've so frustrated the gospel, where I've so frustrated his work in my life. And I'm telling you as a pastor, because I may be the pastor, but I'm just a, you know, a brother in Christ together with you. And I'm telling you that I know in my life that sometimes, I know in my life that I can be in danger of that. At any point in my life, any one of us can fall if we allow ourselves to be lifted up with pride. Well, here's what prayer, real prayer does. Prayer always keeps us humble. Prayer, and I'm not talking about keep you humble like I'm going to keep you humble, man. I'm talking about the real humility, that we're just in relationship with God. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God right? That's prayer. And he will exalt you in due season. Well, when's the due season? Well, when you're humbled under his hand, you don't care anymore. When you're really, I know this in my life, when you're really humbled under his hand, you're like, I'm okay, God, do with me whatever you want to do. You're not worried about whether you're going to get fired. You're not worried about whether you're going to get hired. You're not worried about what's going to happen because you know you're with Jesus. And if he wants to put you on a big platform to speak to millions, he'll do it. And if he doesn't want to, he won't do it. It's totally up to him. But he will exalt you in due season. The word of God will run swiftly. And it will be glorified because we pray. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. I love this verse. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny 
himself. Do you know Jesus is so committed to you that you are his body, that you are joint heirs together with him. He said, I do not call you my servants, I call you my friends, because I have revealed everything to you that the Father has given to me. Oh, really? Well, he hasn't told me all those secrets because you don't read the Bible. They're all there. If you're not getting in on the secrets of God, that's your own fault. But he has given to us everything that the Father has revealed. You know, there's not some Gospel of Thomas you need to be reading. There's one of those things out there. Any other junk mail like that. That's not really from God. You know, you ever get junk mail where you think it's from one person, then if you really pay attention, you're like, well, that address isn't that address. You know, this, this is something come to deceive me, trying to get me to do something that I don't want to do. You know, there's a lot of junk mail out there, but we have the real mail from God. These are the epistles that he has sent to us. This is the word that he has given us from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation. And when we are faithless, because not a one of us does not, does not, uh, uh, it does not, it does not happen in our lives that we would just be faithful all the time. We are at times faithless, but we have a remedy. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So prayer is not based, this is really important, on how faithful I am to God, but on how faithful he is to me. You know, we say prayer changes things. That's a good phrase. You know, it is. But I want to say what prayer really does is it changes me. I know prayer doesn't move God in the sense of changing his opinion about things. But it changes me. It moves me. And so it feels like it moves God <laughs> because I move into a position where now I understand what you want, God. And I didn't understand before. But cha prayer changes me. Prayer changes us. It makes us more like Christ. Why? Because we become like the people we hang out with. Isn't that true? And if we hang out with bad company, it rubs off on us. If we hang out with the right crowd, that rubs off on us too. If we hang out with people that are really intelligent, somehow we get smarter. Have you ever noticed that? If you hang out with people... If you, Spend a day just listening to all kinds of dumb things in the internet. Have you ever noticed you just get kind of dumber? It's like it, with the information we put in, the fellowship we have, it changes us. So if we're hanging out with Jesus, if we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and spending time with him, then we become automatically more and more like Christ. And prayer, as it says here in verse 5, it directs our hearts directs our hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. It makes us stubborn for Jesus. It makes us love people that we could never love before because we've been spending time with Jesus. You know, if you, if you know Valerie DeGroot, what a great example. I never saw a drop of anything that didn't look like love come out of that woman's mouth or out of her life. You know, that's just just the way it is. You know, prayer makes us like Jesus. Prayer builds confidence in us. Notice that Paul said, we have confidence in the Lord. 
So it bu- builds confidence among the troops. It builds confidence on our team. When we're in prayer with Jesus, and I'm not talking, and this includes corporate prayer, but corporate prayer, I'm not going to say it's worthless, but corporate prayer doesn't have the same power. Corporate's when we all get together and pray. It doesn't have the same power if there's not individual prayer in our lives. But when people who are individually prayers that are in connection with Jesus come together corporately, then there's a lot of power in that. Because Jesus said, if two or more of you will, will, will ask about anything on this earth, if you'll agree together about anything on this earth, it'll be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Do you know that? You know, and it's perfectly fine and it's really good to have a group of people that pray together with you about things. You know, and it's fine to call some TV preacher's ministry or send them an email and ask them to pray about something. That's all well and good. But all you really need is one other person who's connected to Jesus. And you two pray together. That's what a husband and wife should have that power in their family. You know, that we are connected to each other in prayer. Because when two or more uh, agree as touching anything, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Prayer has a way that it builds confidence in our team, in our troops, in our family when we pray. Prayer teaches us to listen more carefully and it empowers us to fulfill the Lord's assignments with greater accuracy and greater success than we would ever have without it. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ because we have this confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do, notice what he says, what we command. Man, that Paul's bold. He doesn't say what God commands. He says what we command. Because what we are giving to you and speaking to you is the word of the Lord. We have confidence that you are doing and you will continue to do what we command. You see, it's an army. There, there, there are commanders. And the commanders are under an authority. If you ever find a church where the pastor is the head pastor or senior pastor, and probably on paper somewhere I'm called senior pastor, there's a problem there. Because the senior pastor, his name is Jesus. That's just how it is. I mean, in all reality, it's not just some spiritual thing that sounds cool to say. It's really like that. He is the head pastor. You know, he's over all the ministries of this church. Over all the ministries of this church. And whatever he says, that's what goes, okay? Now, I'm not saying that I or any of the other ministers of this church are always perfect in listening to what he says. But I will say this, it is the desire of our heart to hear what he is saying and to execute the assignments that he's giving to us. So when we draw draw together and we have confidence in one another, we we become a team. You know, we have confidence in one another. You, You know that a team's not a team if people don't trust each other. The, the team falls apart. That's why I was talking about the good coaches and stuff. The good coach is the one that somehow could take people that are completely different and they begin to trust each other and love each other. And, it, and I, I don't know how to explain how it happens. But it happens in the spiritual realm through prayer when we're in connection with Jesus. Because if we're in connection, if you're in connection with Jesus, I'm in connection with Jesus, well, of course we're going to trust each other. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to trust each other. 
we may have all butt heads against each other, have all kinds of problems, but at the end of the day, I'm going to say, man, I know that person loves Jesus, and I know I love Jesus. And we may be different from each other, but maybe that's just because we're different members in one body that makes the body all the more beautiful, all the more effective, that we have greater accuracy in what we do, that we have greater success in what we do, because we pray. So finally, brethren, pray for us. Intercession is the first principle of spiritual warfare. It's not the only principle. Don't make that mistake either. Some people think spiritual warfare is just praying all the time. No, there's a lot of doing that goes in with it. But if we're doing without praying, we're not going to have that success that we need. Amen? Uh, Worship team, you guys come on up here. I know everybody's got a big nap time today that begins at 3.30. That's why I turn the Super Bowl on, and I'm like, oh. is it fourth quarter yet? <laughs> yeah, but go Chiefs, right? Amen. I, I, grew, I grew up in Tulsa, and my main team were the Cowboys, but the, the AFC was the Chiefs because we could actually go to those games they were close enough. And sorry, 49ers, I was like, California? That's like a different world, but I get it. Go 49ers and Chiefs. Go Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. I just really pray that in this teaching, Lord, that there be things that, that lock in to our hearts and, and that you would stir up on the inside of us. What I feel stirring on the inside of me, Lord, I just want to see you more. I want to see you clearer. I want to sing that song, you know, my eyes are dry, etc. And not think, oh, well, my eyes aren't dry. My faith isn't old. Lord, they're not as wet as they need to be. <laughs> Am I really weeping for what you weep over? My faith isn't as fresh as it should be, Lord. And Lord, we just want to draw closer to you. We want to know you. Father, I ask that you would forgive us. And we're all guilty of it, all of us. I ask that you'd forgive us, Lord, for wagging our tongues to complain instead of directing our hearts to pray. Teach us to pray. A simple prayer this morning, Lord. Teach us to pray. I've been a Christian all my life, and I'm 59, but I'm asking you, Teach me to pray, Lord. I want to know you better. I want to be closer to you, Lord. I want to constantly be in this pipeline where you're teaching me to pray, drawing me closer to you, Lord, closer to your presence. Help our prayer life to really be that, a life that we live, the air that we breathe, the air that we breathe. You're looking for worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Make us lovers of truth. We love you, Jesus. Just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Because we know not 
how to pray. We know not for what to pray, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. I pray that every person in here would turn to you and say, teach me to pray, Lord. And that they would be filled with your Holy Spirit, speaking with new tongues, prophesying, and proclaiming the words of the Lord. You said that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and that our sons and daughters would prophesy. I pray for every young person in our church, Lord, that they would have the Spirit of God poured out upon them. For some of them, that it would be like King Saul. They weren't even expecting it. And boom, here it comes. And they can't help but to prophesy. For others, it may be like more like King David. That they're seeking for it. That they're asking for it. Really, what difference does it make? How they get there, Lord. I just pray you would pour out your spirit on all flesh. I pray that you would renew a right spirit within us. That you would stir up the Holy Spirit within us. That for those who maybe have been praying with other tongues for decades, that you would renew the joy of their salvation. That that same excitement, that same joy, that that fire would never go out. So that when we're over 80 years old, like Caleb, we would say, I'm just as able to take this mountain today as I was when I was a young man. I've been waiting for over 40 years to take this mountain. And now you're going to let me take this mountain, Lord, because I've got the same strength, I've got the same energy, and I'm taking this mountain, Lord. I pray that you would renew our youth cause us to mount up on the wings of eagles. That prayer for us would not be a standing on the street corner thing and praying so that we'd be hurt by men thing. It'd really be the breath in our lungs, the air that we breathe. Just draw us closer to you, Jesus. And turn our hearts to you, Lord. So that we don't become irrelevant so that we don't become out of place. So that your word would run swiftly over all the nations of the earth and be glorified, just as in our own homes also, Lord. I ask you this now. I pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urringtonvineyardfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.